Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. I'm Drew Perowit, executive producer of the Broken Brain series. In this podcast series, we're going to continue the conversations around food, wellness, and of course, brain health that we started in Broken Brain. On each episode, we'll invite new experts who we think can help you live longer, feel better, and have a smarter approach to your health. On today's episode, we have a very special guest, Dr. Akil. Dr. Kill is an integrative medicine physician and the author of The Paleo-Vedic Diet, a complete program to burn fat, increase energy, and reverse disease. He blends Western medical training with functional medicine and Ayurveda, the traditional medicine of India, which is where I'm from. Dr. Kill studied biochemistry at Harvard University, received his medical degree from the University of California in San Francisco, and completed his residency at Stanford University. He also completed a fellowship in integrative medicine with Dr. Andrew Weil at the University of Arizona and is certified by the Center of Mind-Body Medicine at Georgetown University. He's super passionate about brain health and has created an in-depth online course on combining Ayurveda and functional medicine in a holistic, comprehensive approach to optimal brain health. You can check it out in the show notes for the link to the course and Dr. Akil's book. He lives and practices medicine in San Francisco. Dr. Kill, welcome to the podcast series. Thanks for having me on, Drew. Absolute pleasure. You know, we don't often hear of Ayurveda, and I don't. Even, I think there was maybe a couple mentions in the Broken Brain series. So I know our audience is really curious about this topic and how it fits into functional medicine, and I couldn't think of a better expert than you to talk to us about it. I'd love to start off with a little bit of your background and how you developed this approach that you did. I know you had a personal health breakdown while you were in medical school. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that experience shaped how you approach your practice today? Yeah, absolutely. So this was during my uh, training. And so in my pre-medical years at Harvard, I had become a vegetarian because I was very passionate about uh, yoga and spirituality and, and aligning with that. So I thought that was the best diet for me. And then when I started medical school at uh, UCSF, um, started feeling gradually worse and worse. Um, you know, developed um, some chronic pain in my uh, hands and also back pain and neck pain and was losing weight and got so sick that I actually couldn't continue medical school. So I had to stop and uh, take a year off and try to really um, recover my health. And the conventional medicine uh, really wasn't helping me. You know, I was doing physical therapy, uh, anti-inflammatories, um, you know, drugs, and I just wasn't getting better. And it was uh, at that time that I first saw an Ayurvedic uh, practitioner, and um, she was the one who, at first, this was about 20 years ago, told me to start on bone broth. And uh, this was before bone broth was a thing like it is now, you know, And uh, but in Ayurveda, the, the gut is the root cause of all disease. And so she started me on bone broth, and that was the first thing that helped me in you know uh, three years that I was sick. Um, and then eventually she helped me to realize that uh, uh, going vegetarian was not the best thing for my body type because Ayurveda believes every person is unique. And so I applied the changes from Ayurveda into my life and you know, felt tons better. And then also saw a functional medicine practitioner then, and that helped with the final pieces of the puzzle. And so I just grew to uh, realize the power of Ayurveda and functional medicine and nutrition, you know, in my own life, because um, that enabled me to, you know, get healthy, return to medical school and, and finish my training. And then I um, decided to really practice those modalities to offer the best options for patients. 
solutions because ultimately, you know, we want the best of um, Eastern and Western modalities to really give people the best chance for healing. Yeah, that's incredible. I think sometimes people feel like they have a little bit of an understanding of Ayurveda. Maybe they've heard of doshas and body types and other things, or maybe they know it in the context of a lot of the functional medicine supplements that people take, have adaptogenic herbs. But can you give us an explanation of Ayurveda? And then also, how does Ayurveda really relate to brain health, the practices? How can they help us cultivate a healthy brain? Sure. So I think um, Ayurveda is known as the science of life, uh, literally in Sanskrit. That's what the word means. And it's a system that's been around about 5,000 years uh, in India, and it's practiced extensively. And I think the proof is really in the results in that India has uh, among the lowest rates of Alzheimer's in the, uh, the whole world. And in some parts of India, they have found, you know, the lowest rates that have been studied from for any population that they've looked at. And uh, um, so Ayurveda, I think, is a big part of that, which we can get into. But um, essentially, it believes that every person has a unique um, body type comprised of different doshas. So the doshas are the forces in the body that have to be in balance. And uh, there's three main ones. There's uh, vata, which is wind, and pitta, which is fire and kapha, which is earth. So every person is born with a unique combination of these three doshas, and uh, um, that dictates like the optimal diet, uh, lifestyle, uh, herbs, uh, et cetera, for that person to be healthy. And uh, um, so it's possible with a questionnaire, you know, which I have in my book, that people can figure out their doshas and their body type and learn about, you know, what's the optimal diet for them and uh, um, what's the optimal lifestyle regimen, you know, this this sort of thing. And Ayurveda really uses spices as well. Um, and uh, it's thought that turmeric is one of the reasons why you know, um, brain disease is so low in India, but there's um, many spices in Ayurveda that are considered medicinal, you know, so um, I, I have 13 spices that I call the kitchen pharmacy, which I um, review in my book, and those are the most powerful in terms of uh, anti-inflammatory effects, uh, providing the key antioxidants, helping with uh, balancing blood sugar, you know, all the key factors that are necessary for brain health. So um, these include not just um, turmeric, but also uh, ginger, cumin, fennel, allspice, uh, coriander, black cumin, and, you know, many others. Um, and so I think in Ayurveda, you know, food is medicine and spices are a big part of that. Um, and my uh, passion is helping people to, you know, cook with spices and use food as medicine. And, uh, and really, Ayurveda is about understanding yourself. So um, learning about your own unique body type, you know, that helps a lot with figuring out what's right for you. Because, you know, we all know one size doesn't fit all when it comes to nutrition and, and health. But how do you really go to the next step and figure out what's right for you, you know? And I think Ayurveda really helps you to get some guidance about customizing your diet and, um, you know, developing that program for your unique individuality. So I think that's the strength of Ayurveda. So you mentioned about India having one of the lowest rates of Alzheimer's. I mean, it's a country of one point. 2 billion people now. And do you have anything more that you want to say about that? And is that rate of Alzheimer's changing now that we here in North America are ex, uh, exporting out our Western diets? I was in India 
two years ago, and I think Subway is one of the fastest uh-huh. growing <laughs> fast food chains over there. Subway, KFC. Right. So is any of that changing now? Um, do we have any uh, sign that any of that is changing now with the exportation of the Western diet? Yeah, we absolutely do. And it's a sad story, you know, because most of the studies showing the low rates of Alzheimer's are in more rural areas of India where, you know, you don't see this westernization. And uh, um, so they still have a traditional diet, you know, traditional foods, fermented foods, uh, the fasting, all the key elements that are brain healthy. Uh, But some of the more recent studies looking in the cities and areas where, you know, the um, fast food companies are growing and uh, packaged foods are really like skyrocketing have shown that actually the rates are going up and uh, um, they're not as high as they are in in the U.S., you know, because um, the baseline rate in India is about one third what the rate is in in the U.S. of Alzheimer's. So it's it's going up. It hasn't reached the U.S. rates, but unfortunately is uh, increasing as the Western diet takes over. So research shows that brain um, deterioration can start 20 to 30 years prior to Alzheimer's diagnosis. For the folks who are listening to the podcast, what can we do in early life and throughout adulthood to protect our brains? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's definitely um, consistent with Ayurveda because Ayurveda believes in prevention and um, describes six different stages of disease. And it's only in stages five or six that you get symptoms. Uh, and at that point, um, you know, if you are working with an Ayurvedic practitioner, they uh, w- would consider themselves to have failed, you know, because the entire goal is to catch you in the first four stages when you don't have symptoms, reverse those and prevent the diseases from developing. And this is consistent with the research as well on uh, brain health. So um, scientists have found that there's um, changes that occur, you know, 20 or 30 years before the symptoms of Alzheimer's. Um, uh, For example, they've looked at uh, protein known as amyloid beta 42, which is a marker for amyloid deposits in the brain, which are, you know, key in Alzheimer's. And those markers in the cerebrospinal fluid, which is the fluid around the brain, you can actually measure that with a spinal tap. Um, So those markers change about 25 years before um, someone shows first signs of Alzheimer's. They've also looked at um, tau protein in the CSF, and that's you know usually about 15 to 20 years before symptoms. And um, they've also looked at PET scans of the brain and shown you know same thing 20 plus years before symptoms. So the key thing to remember with um, brain health is you know prevention is is the goal, and starting at a young age, you know as young as possible, is really the best thing. And uh, um, so I think. Um, you know, with Ayurveda, the um, the whole gut-brain axis is um, is really key. So one thing that is really important is uh, keeping your gut as healthy as possible through your whole life, and that will keep your brain as healthy as possible. You talked about the gut a little bit, and earlier you had mentioned that Ayurveda sees the gut as the starting place of uh, health and disease. So let's go a little bit deeper into the gut-brain connection. What's the importance of a strong digestion? How does that tie into brain health? Um, and, and off of that, what Ayurvedic practices can we do to promote strong digestion? 
Yeah, so this um, gut-brain axis is um, something we're learning more about, you know, every every month with new research. And um, the health of a person's brain is to a large degree dictated by the state of their gut and also the gut microbiome. And the gut-brain axis is uh, it's a two-way link, you know, between the brain and, um, our, and our gut. And our gut has its own uh, nervous system called the enteric nervous system. So through connections like uh, the vagus nerve, um, you know, the neurotransmitter, Transmitters. Most of the neurotransmitters are made in the gut, actually. Um, so through those connections, there's this constant crosstalk that goes on between the the gut and the brain. Um, and um, so, you know, in terms of what Ayurveda says about this, um, the first thing is always to eat according to your dosha or body type. That's the the best way to stay in balance. Um, but then there's this concept of the agni or digestive fire. And uh, having a healthy agni means your digestion is healthy, and that means that you're um, you know reducing your risk for developing any disease. And how do you keep your agni strong? Well, there's uh, many things which um, Ayurveda recommends. So simple thing, when you wake up, um, drink a tall glass of hot water with uh, lemon juice. You know that's something that I do uh, every day. And then um, after you brush your teeth, you can scrape your tongue with a tongue scraper you know, or a toothbrush. So the tongue is actually a microcosm for the, the whole body. And scraping the tongue stimulates the digestive fire, stimulates the agni. Um, that's a traditional practice. Um, and then you know, in um, Ayurveda as well, they strongly recommend uh, avoiding iced water or cold drinks and having either room temperature or warm water, you know, with the understanding that those uh, cold beverages actually depress the agni and weaken the digestive fire slightly. Um, and then uh, having, you know, uh, mindfulness when you're eating is also very important because, uh, you know, being aware of the um, taste and smell of the food using your senses, that really uh, is important for digesting food properly. So you want to really be mindful during eating, minimize distractions, also chew your food. You know, this is like just basic stuff, but um, chewing your food well, bringing awareness to eating, that ensures that you don't overeat. You know, those are helpful. And then Ayurveda recommends having the largest meal of the day at lunch when the Agni is the strongest, usually between 12 noon and two, and then having a light dinner, you know, early as possible before uh, 7 or 8 p.m., and um, incorporating spices is a great way to strengthen the agni. So um, cumin, coriander, fennel, of course, turmeric, um, and ginger as well is, uh, is very helpful for, uh, for the agni. And then finally, Ayurveda uh, recommends a uh, technique known as abhyanga, which is um, a simple self-massage with um, uh, herbal oil. So you can use either um, sesame oil or um, almond oil or olive oil, uh, depending on your body type. And um, you know, I've I've lost count of how many patients have told me that that has made a huge difference in their their life. Just simple oil application once a day. You know, it, it's very calming for the whole body. Really strengthens the agni and the digestive fire. And and one final practice that's getting more well-known now is oil pulling, um, where you um, just hold about, um, um, you know, uh, for about 15 minutes, some either coconut oil um, or olive oil in your mouth and, and uh, just swish it around and then spit it out. And that's supposed to strengthen the digestion and help with detoxification as well. So there's a lot that can be done in that area. 
All great tips. Thanks for that. You know, sometimes uh, I grew up with a little bit of a background in Ayurveda, just culturally being Indian and your grandparents coming to you and giving you thoughts and tips and ideas. Of course, they didn't have the science or the full knowledge on why these things worked. And then there's other things that I thought might be in contradiction. For example, uh, in high school, I had pretty severe acne and I Mm -hmm. had my family giving me all sorts of different tips and saw a dermatologist. And I realized through sort of the early stages of getting exposed to what ultimately I would find was functional medicine, that removing certain foods in my diet significantly reduced my gut inflammation and reduced that acne. And, and one of those was, was dairy. And mm-hmm. often we will get sometimes pushback from people who are in the Ayurvedic tradition in functional medicine when we say, you know, potentially remove dairy out of your diet, see if it's a food that's there for you. Do you have any thoughts on that? Is that the dairy over here in North America is different than the dairy in India? And how do we figure out what's right for people individually with understanding that also that dairy could have a potential positive role in the Ayurvedic approach? Yeah, that's uh, a great point. And I think first, it does come back to the body type. Uh, and so um, people with um, a lot of kapha in, in their constitution are generally better off avoiding dairy. You know, that's the Ayurvedic recommendation. And then even, um, you know, with other body types, it, it is a difference in the quality of the milk. So often when you're getting, um, you know, freshly milked uh, milk from a, a cow, I mean, that's very different from the pasteurized store-bought milk that we're getting today, you know, especially if it's been like it's made low fat or, you know, all the process processing that goes on. So that has a very different effect on the body. Um, And I think that you really need a healthy um, gut and a good microbiome to handle milk and dairy. And um, most of my patients don't have that, you know. And so I think that it's definitely a good idea to try an elimination diet and uh, dairy could be one of the things you take out and and then reintroduce it, you know, after um, at least a month and just see how, how you feel. Um, but I'm a big believer in the elimination diet. And so I have a, um, that's, I call it the paleovedic detox, where people for three weeks um, eliminate, you know, gluten, dairy, uh, soy, alcohol, um, and sugar, and then reintroduce things one by one to see how that affects each person. Because that's the best way to really tell whether um, a food is agreeing with you or not. And uh, I'm, I'm very moderate in my approach. You know, I, I don't think um, uh, these hardened fast rules help anybody that's saying that, okay, dairy is inflammatory or, you know, et cetera. I don't, I think it's much more a gray area than that. Let's go back to this concept of leaky brain. On episode two of the Broken Brain docuseries, a lot of our listeners will be familiar with the fact that we did a deep dive into the gut-brain connection. Um, But I think it's worth reviewing and especially in the context of Ayurveda. So what does leaky brain mean and how do we know if we have one? Um, and, and is there an approach to remedy a leaky brain? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, a leaky brain is essentially defined as a leakage, um, in the blood brain barrier. Um, and the blood brain barrier, just like our gut 
lining is supposed to be an impermeable barrier that doesn't let you know many things pass through. But just like you can get a leaky gut where things pass through that are not supposed to, you can have the leaky brain. And we can now see that on um, um, what's called dynamic MRI. They've actually seen the, these leaks you know, in the blood-brain barrier, uh, especially in patients with Alzheimer's. But it's not just Alzheimer's that's associated with leaky brain. Um, if you have symptoms like um, brain fog, difficulty concentrating, headaches, uh, slight memory loss, or other um, brain conditions, you know, like anxiety, depression, uh, multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, uh, even autism, then it's um, highly likely that you know there you, that that you do have some degree of leaky brain. And when they've looked at this in more um, with studies, they found that, uh, um, for example, with Alzheimer's. As the brain um, leakage increases, the scores on, um, you know, exam, uh, like cognitive exams decrease. So there's a direct correlation with how um, severe the leaky brain is and the, the worsening brain function. So I think, um, you know, one one way to test for that actually is with uh, occludin and zonulin proteins. So those are proteins that uh, determine both gut lining and blood-brain barrier permeability. And we do a lot of functional medicine in my office along with Ayurveda. But for the functional medicine approach, we like to test for those antibodies against occludin and zonulin as a way to measure and gauge the leaky brain um, syndrome. And the final thing about that is um, microRNAs are, have been emerged as um, their key regulators of inflammation. And uh, there's a molecule called microRNA-155, which is being studied. It's upregulated with inflammation, and it can directly poke holes and gaps in this uh, blood-brain barrier to create the leaky brain. So uh, that's another interesting area of um, new research. And in terms of why this affects the um, brain function, you know, once you get the leaky brain, you um, you start getting toxins going into the brain. You start getting inflammatory compounds like lipopolysaccharide or LPS, which uh, enters from leaky gut and you know can cross into the brain, triggering inflammation. So leaky brain is the first step to get uh, getting brain inflammation. And uh, in terms of how you want to treat leaky brain, well, the the first steps are actually treating leaky gut. Um, and so I think, um, you know, the uh, top foods in my mind that help with leaky gut and leaky brain are um, the top five, I'll say, are uh, bone broth, you know, because it has the gelatin and uh, minerals and reduces inflammation in, in the whole body. Um, herbs and spices, turmeric, curcumin, ginger, they've been shown to uh, directly help with you know, gut healing and often brain function. Um, sprouts, so I would say um, sprouts are very powerful sources of antioxidants, minerals, enzymes, um, complete protein. So they have all the amino acids to help repair tissue and it's a um, great way to get more um, you know, beneficial nutrients to heal the gut and brain. Um, berries. So those are one of the foods that were studied in this diet called the MIND diet, which has been shown to um, delay and, and reverse Alzheimer's. And we can talk more about that if we have time. 
And finally, um, dark chocolate, because, um, you know, huge amount of antioxidants, improves um, good cholesterol, and also has been shown to improve cognitive function in certain studies. So um, I think those are the top five foods, I would say, for, you know, healing leaky gut and leaky brain. I think you got everybody's attention when you mentioned chocolate. So they're all yeah. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> but dark <laughs> right, chocolate right. is yes. the key. Dark chocolate is the key and uh, low sugar. Uh, of yeah, course. And, you know, if I could mention one more thing, the um, I didn't touch on fermented foods, but I would say that's a, a key thing because, uh, um, you know, we all know those are great for the leaky gut, but also um, they help with the gut-brain axis. And uh, little known fact is, you know, India has a huge consumption of fermented foods uh, because, uh, you know, a lot of the um, traditional foods like uh, lassi and yogurt are consumed and also um, dosa and idli in South India and uh, pickles, you know, throughout India. So that's another big part of, uh, I think, why India does so well with Alzheimer's is the pickled and fermented foods that are a big part of the diet. While food is such a key component, often one of the first places to start, one of the things that we talked about in our docuseries is the importance of social connections. And Dr. Hyman often says it best when he says, friend power is more important than willpower. The support that you get for your friends to stay on track to bring that joy, bring that happiness is so crucial and we don't want to ignore it. So I'd love to hear in your own words, you know, how does social connection contribute to good health and what are things that we can do to deepen our social relationships? Um, yeah, that's something that I think is an um, absolutely huge factor, you know, because uh, um, studies have shown that um, social isolation is an even bigger risk factor for health than cigarette smoking uh, or obesity, you know, which are, which are both pretty bad too, but um, surprisingly, uh, isolation and loneliness trumps, you know, both of those in terms of how bad it is for health. And also in, in the converse, you know, when you look at the healthiest populations around the world, this uh, these uh, areas known as blue zones, where people are the unusually the most long-lived, the most healthy. You know, they all eat different diets. You know, they have huge differences in the amount of fat in the diet, ranging from you know 10% to 40%. Um, huge differences in the um, macronutrient uh, composition. But what's the common thing about all of those um, societies is their social connections. Um, and you know, many of them spend a few hours every day in quality time with family, friends, and neighbors. Um, so there's really, uh, I think, a huge role that social connection plays in overall health and, uh, you know, and brain health. So I think there's many different ways to increase um, social connection, you know, even if you're single or live alone. Um, so um, I think, um, you know, joining a, a group of some kind, um, taking classes, reconnecting with old friends, um, getting to know your neighbors or coworkers, volunteering is something as well that's, um, that's very helpful. Um, getting a pet, you know, I, I think that's great. And, um, and also meaningfully connecting with others online. You know, I think uh, social media is a double-edged sword and um, it can be isolating if it's, if it's used just to consume entertainment. But if you're using it in an intentional way to connect with others and, um, you know, deepen the relationships, I think social media um, can be beneficial as well. So um, I definitely think the isolation is one of a, the huge epidemics that we have. And uh, um, it's very important to counteract that and, you know, have that intention. Well said. Our uh, dear friend Dallas 
Hartwig, author of Whole30, and a, a guest that's going to be coming out on the podcast uh, soon. He says, get mm-hmm. online to get offline. Connect with people online right. and then go do fun stuff with them offline. That's great. I like that. Awesome. You made reference to the mind diet earlier. Can you expand on that a little bit more? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So the MIND diet, MIND is an acronym, which stands for Mediterranean Intervention for Neurodegenerative Delay. Um, so the MIND diet is one of the interesting diets that has been studied and shown to be associated with a slower rate of cognitive decline, actually about eight years of uh, younger age. And this study showed that the highest um, mind diet followers were about 53% less likely to develop Alzheimer's um, over a five-year period, you know. And so um, these there are certain key foods in the mind diet, and I use that to create my uh, paleo-vedic diet. So if you're following the paleo-vedic diet, you'll automatically cover all these things. But the, some of the key foods they found were associated with brain protection are um, leafy greens, you know, which are um, incredibly nutrient-dense and uh, vitamin-rich, um, cold water fish because of the omega-3 levels um, and those anti-inflammatory properties, uh, berries. So they specifically looked at uh, blueberries and strawberries, but I think all berries are great for the antioxidant value and you know uh, those benefits. Um, also nuts. So I think with nuts, you have to be mindful of the um, omega-6 to omega-3 ratio, which is uh, often not talked about, but um, certain nuts are very high in omega-6. And I think uh, you really want to try to increase omega-3 and reduce omega-6 because we have so much of that in our diet. So the nuts that are lowest in omega-6 are uh, macadamia nuts, hazelnuts, cashews, um, almonds are are moderate. But um, yeah, most of these nuts are excellent as well. Um, And then you have uh, beans and legumes. So there's a lot of discussion these days about lectins and, you know, how they're, uh, you know, killing us. And I I think that uh, it's been shown in studies that uh, as long as you're properly preparing beans and legumes, the most of those lectins are inactivated. So soaking um, overnight, you know, beans and legumes or um, cooking them in a pressure cooker, there's uh, multiple ways to inactivate those uh, lectins and anti-nutrients. And then you can get all the health promoting benefits of beans and legumes. Because I think, you know, my whole approach with the Paleo-Vedic diet was to make it more moderate and not overly restrictive. And I think beans uh, are in that category where um, they've been unfairly excluded. But they've been shown in multiple studies, including this one, that they're very healthy and good for the brain, you know, good for the gut. So we also have in this study um, olive oil, of course, uh, talked about for its role in the Mediterranean diet and the high monounsaturated fats. Um, Wine is, especially red wine, is good for the heart and also the brain. Um, And that's another thing that um, has been shown consistently in, you know, the blue zone societies is, you know, they generally drink either like coffee, tea or wine. And those beverages, I think, are all healthy. Um, And so whole grains are also part of this um, this study. And I know that's a controversial topic because of grains as well containing, you know, lectins. And uh, in general, I do recommend gluten free grains. 
Um, but grains are an issue if you have blood sugar problems, um, and there's a big connection with um, Alzheimer's, which is known as type 3 diabetes, you know, and blood sugar dysregulation. So I would be careful with the um, whole grains, you know, if, if you have blood sugar issues, but if you tolerate them well and feel good on them, um, I, I, I'm fine with, you know, the gluten-free grains. And then the MIND diet talks about avoiding a few things, which are um, sugar, you know, that's a huge uh, factor in terms of promoting inflammation and uh, causing leaky gut. Um, fried foods or fast food, both of which very high in omega-6s, which cause inflammation. Um, margarine, so, you know, I hope the message is out that margarine is not a healthy fat and uh, butter or even better than that would be ghee, uh, which is the clarified butter. That's a big part in, in Ayurveda. So, um, so I think those are some of the, the key things that are part of the MIND diet that have been shown to be really helpful. And, uh, you know, I go, go into this much more in my um, course online um, and in my book, but I wanted to just give the base, some of the basic foods because I know that's a common question I always get from patients. You know, what do I eat? That's incredible. Uh, Doc, you know, you have, I'm sure you have so many patients that have, um, are so excited. They hear about these tips, these foods, the possibility of what's out there for them but they are overwhelmed uh, when they get started or they're worried about being perfect. Are there tips or suggestions you bring to them to really just have them focus on the basics, like just getting started and especially getting over being overwhelmed? Are there suggestions or mindset ideas that you enable them with or empower them with that can help them in their compliance on this journey? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, we have to remember that, uh, um, you know, we, we eat to live and um, not, you know, that food just has one part to play in health where many other factors are important. So in general, I recommend the 90-10 rule, you know, where people like 90% of the time try to adhere to a strict diet, but 10% of the time give themselves a treat or, you know, if they're eating out, uh, uh, like relax the rules a little bit. So I think it's important not to get like overly fixated on eating the right foods all the time because your attitude towards food is really important. You know, uh, Ayurveda believes that what you think about your food matters as much as what you're eating. So if you, um, you know, are um, like eating a certain diet and um, feeling guilty about it or, um, you know, uh, like hating yourself for eating a certain way, that's going to have very negative um out, uh, outcome. And um, so what you believe about your food and having a positive attitude about, you know, uh, your food is actually an important factor as well. Um, and um, yeah, so I think um, I always uh, um, remind people, you know, that um, there's a great quote from um, the Feldenkrais tradition, which is the, uh, the definition of health is the ability to live your dreams. Um, and, you know, that definition has uh, nothing to do with, you know, with diet, but just uh, expands people's perspective that remember that, you know, the goal of health is to be able to pursue your passions and live your dreams. And food is, you know, but one element of that. So don't get overly fixated on that. Uh, that's well said. I want to talk about some mind-body practices. You talk a lot in your book, uh, The Paleovedic Diet, um, about these mind-body practices and how they can relax our nervous system. Can you talk about some of your favorite ones that you use personally or that you give to your uh, patients that can support brain health? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this matters because um, in Ayurveda, there's a huge emphasis on the mind-body connection. And modern research has shown that um, stress literally um, shrinks the brain. So the cortisol that's produced when uh, from chronic stress actually shrinks the dendrites, which are the connections between neurons and also affects neurotransmitter production. And specifically in the hippocampus, which controls learning and memory, um, you know, they found that stress actually shrinks the hippocampus. So, um, but they've also shown that meditation increases the size of the hippocampus and uh, helps it to actually get bigger structurally. And so that's the power of these mind-body um, practices, you know. So I think um, if you have elevated cortisol and stress hormones, it has been shown in animal studies that it accelerates the development of, you know, brain disease, Alzheimer's, inflammation. Um, cortisol also causes those um, amyloid plaques to develop and the, um, the tangles as well, which are part of Alzheimer's. So the effects of stress are very real and they are, um, you know, they're structural and they're physical. It's not just a mental thing because we can see all these changes in the brain happening from, uh, from stress. And so the solutions to that, um, so meditation has been shown to increase the size of the hippocampus and also change gene expression. So um, reducing in, uh, inflammatory genes, helping with recovery from stress. So meditation has been studied now and, and shown to really um, you know, help with gray matter density in parts of the brain associated with um, awareness and introspection. And also um, mindfulness meditation has been shown to decrease gray matter density in the amygdala, which is a part of the brain associated with anxiety and stress. And um, you know, these are controlled studies showing the power of neuroplasticity, you know, just how changeable and plastic our brain is uh, with these interventions. So I think uh, some of my favorite mind-body practices are meditation, you know, of different types. And I tell people to start, you know, many of my patients, you know, they just they say they don't have time to meditate, but I, I tell them to start with um, two minutes a day. Um, and, uh, you know, if you think that, okay, I have to start with a half an hour and, uh, you know, that otherwise it's not going to help, that's really not true because uh, even um, two minutes is a, a good way to start. And it's much better to set yourself a small goal and achieve it and then uh, build on that and then increase to, you know, three minutes, uh, five minutes, 10 minutes, um, et cetera. And um, so I think, um, yeah, meditation is very powerful. Pranayama or breathing techniques are excellent as well. And uh, there are five um, breathing techniques that I talk about um, in my book. Uh, and uh, um, of course, yoga is excellent uh, as well. So I think there's a lot of options in terms of working on that mind-body connection. So whatever works best for you is the key thing. I think that's exactly it. These are all different tools in the toolbox and you have to try them to see what works best for you. But it definitely the key thing is trying them, giving them a shot, whether it's headspace, whether it's an online meditation, uh, guided meditation or something trying them out and then picking and choosing the tools that you want to keep around for you. Yes, exactly. Dr. Kiel, this has been great. And you've given our listeners so much incredible information. You've also put together some pretty great resources between your book and you have an online course. Can you just chat a little bit about that um, further? If people want to go deeper into some of these practices of Ayurveda and brain health and how they can find out more about you and your work. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's just so much new research out there on brain health and uh, it's something I'm really passionate about. And that's why I put together this course for people who really want to go in depth. And uh, so one thing we didn't even um, touch about is herbs and supplements, but that's, uh, you know, a huge area of research and everybody knows about uh, curcumin and turmeric and rightly so because it's powerful for brain and memory and uh, learning. Um, but there's many other spices and herbs that are beneficial. So for example, saffron, which is uh, one of the main um, spices in Ayurveda, has been shown in five randomized controlled trials to be as effective as um, antidepressants you know, for, for mood and depression. And also there was a randomized double-blind trial showing that it was as effective as a prescription drug um, Aricept in treating mild Alzheimer's um, over about six months. And uh, so in addition to saffron, there's um, Brahmi, which is, you know, this very powerful herb. Um, there's Bacopa. There's Gotukola. Um, of course, Ashwagandha. Yeah, I, I just I'm so excited about all the um, herbs and spices that are being studied now, and you know their their benefits are being confirmed. And so that's one thing that I, I talk about it much more in the course, but also cover, um, of course, diet, you know, in depth, the use of spices, and lifestyle changes like intermittent fasting, um, other functional medicine approaches like you know looking for infections, treating um, toxicity, looking at heavy metals. Um, other, you know, detoxification practices, five different ways to do intermittent fasting. There's just so much to cover. And uh, so that's, you know, those are some of the things that are um, in my online course. So um, yeah, just wanted to mention that. Absolutely. And what I love about your material is that it's all so well cited. And, um, you know, going back earlier to something you mentioned, you know, I think you're really trying to meet people where they are. It's not extreme in any sense of it you're trying to put together a program that people can actually stick to and then obtain the results. So I really want to just appreciate you and acknowledge you for all the incredible work that you've done out there. And I think our community is going to be excited to dig in a little bit deeper. You can definitely check out Dr. Kill's book and his course linked up in the show notes uh, here and um, follow him on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook. And uh, Dr. Kill, such an honor and a pleasure to have you here on the Broken Brain Podcast. Oh, yeah, it was uh, my pleasure. And just in closing, can I give people a recipe that they can, Please, they can uh, make? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, so this is um, uh, combined some of the uh, superfoods and spices. So it's uh, saffron and turmeric spiced milk. And uh, I like it with almond milk. Um, and so basically you just take about 16 ounces of almond milk, um, heat it up and add a quarter teaspoon of turmeric powder. Um, an eighth of a teaspoon of black pepper, which actually helps the absorption of turmeric. You add um, a few strands of saffron and four cloves, and you just boil the almond milk in those spices. And um, when it cools, then you can, you know, if you want, add like a teaspoon of honey for, for sweetness and enjoy. That's great. I guess you call that like, a, like the super expensive golden lattes, but you can make them at right. home yeah, without exactly. all the added sugar that you find right. pumped into That's them. At other locations, exactly. exactly. Yeah. What a great, uh, what a great recipe. Thank you so much for leaving us with that. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Drew. Absolutely, a pleasure. All right, great. We'll do a separate outro that we'll record. We'll add some music to the beginning and the intro and the outro. This okay. was awesome. Thank you for covering all this. I think there's so many gems that are in uh, inside of here. 
Great. Yeah, I know. I, I was trying to cover as much as I could because so, there's so much to talk about, you know, and uh, but no, I think sure. we covered a lot. Yeah, that I think cool. we covered a lot. And I think that the key is that uh, we covered so much, but you did the right thing. You left people with a takeaway for each topic that we covered. And that's usually what we find gets our community excited to dig deeper because um, hmm. they hear those quick little takeaways. They resonate with them and they want to dig deeper. They want to check out your book. They want to check out this and uh you know, versus like if so much is covered and in depth on the subjects without the right context of like the editing and other components, we can often find that people get a little overwhelmed because we just have so many experts, so many topics. But oh, this entry mm-hmm. point of Ayurveda <clears throat> and some of the takeaways that people have there, I mean, nobody in our series obviously has talked anything about that. They've talked about mm-hmm. associative things. They've talked about the power of ghee. They've talked about mm-hmm. other stuff that come from that tradition fermented foods, but not within the context of Ayurveda. It sort of seems like, um, you know, people, you know, there's not, uh, until really you came around, which is why I know Kay was super excited about your book when she first heard about you. I don't know Mm -hmm. how it happened, Mm -hmm. you know, her looking you up or you reaching out, but um, it it really felt like, wow, nobody's really piecing all these components together. And I think you've done a really good job of it. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, it's, it's been, uh, it's been fun. And, uh, 